Welcome to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Over the next hour, you'll discover unique ideas and perspectives about how to improve your health and the planet as well. Now, here are your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo. Welcome, hello, and bienvenidos. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I'm so excited to be here with you. My name is Jimena Yanez. I am an author, a health coach, and a Reiki and biomagnetism therapist. I am the mom of two, and I want them to have plenty of opportunities to enjoy this beautiful planet, to thrive, and to live healthy and happily. Hello, I am Lorenzo Rosenzweig, and I have more than 40 years of experience as an environmentalist. I am also a writer, a photographer, a grandfather of six, and a watercolor artist. How are you today, Jimena? I'm very well, thank you, Lorenzo. Last Sunday was Mother's Day in the US, and I got the chance to celebrate and enjoy the day with my two daughters. How are you today, Lorenzo? Real good. So, Sunday was Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's include Mother Nature in the celebration as well. Just returned from a trip to a very arid region in northern Mexico. In my way back while driving, a heavy storm framed magnificent mountain landscapes with an amazing double rainbow, a colorful play of water and light that we get to visually enjoy only once in a while. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a marvelous experience. Double rainbows, for me, they're just spectacular. And I am so glad you mentioned them, as today we'll talk about water. We'll talk about fascinating facts about it, the hydrological cycle that for millions of years has purified and distributed fresh water on Earth, and what is the best water we can drink for better health. We will have Lorena Bello with us today. Lorena is an expert in functional design and has coordinated several research projects on water management at the landscape scale. Great. Every week we engage in casual conversations to help you understand what is really going on, considering there's a lot of conflicting information on social media. We want you to exercise your right to decide for yourself, so we offer facts that you can double-check later on your own. Mm -hmm. So, allow us to tell you the story of how we got into this environmental and health crisis, What are the odds if we fail to act during the next years? And what are, are the things you can do for your personal benefit and at the same time to support global efforts towards a healthy planet? In the last episode, we talked about climate change, which is a global phenomenon and a relatively new threat for human beings. Contrary mm -hmm. to water, which since the beginning of human civilization has been a recurrent topic in different affairs, including religion, science, medicine, philosophy, and poetry. Climate change is something we cannot see, touch, or taste, and needs to be explained to grasp the severity of its occurrence. People find it hard to understand it, or they find it extremely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So last week, we put on the table some of the verifiable facts about how and why this new environmental problem challenges our own survival as species as we are stepping into uncharted territory. So, yes. how are climate change and water risks related to each other? Water plays a key role in regulating the Earth's temperature, 
We have talked about how climate change intensifies water stress in the world, affecting and limiting its access. As a result, the hydrological cycle has intensified rainfall and periods of extreme drought. Additionally, our economic model keeps overexploiting and polluting water sources. Every year, 18 billion pounds of garbage and 1.3 million gallons of oil are dumped and spilled into the ocean. And just to give you an idea, it's just one quart of motor oil can pollute 250,000 gallons of water if we spill it in the earth and seeps into the aquifers. Yeah, terrible. And yeah, we'll get into the hydrological cycle and the overexploding and polluting of water in a couple of minutes. But first, Lorenzo, I want to bring back the idea of water being a constant theme in many affairs, including philosophy and poetry. Water has been the sustainer of life on Earth since the beginning of time. And of course, there are beautiful references, texts and poems about it all around the world from different ages, cultures and languages. I'd like to share one thought by Rumi that reflects our potential as human beings. You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Wow, incredible. Well, Samuel Taylor's Coleridge 1798 poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, is also very interesting. This is now recognized as a classic, contains perhaps the most famous poetic lines about water in the whole English literature. Let me read it to you. Yeah, please. Water, water everywhere. And all the boards did shrink, water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Which, of course, talks about being stranded in the deep sea, but can also remind us what will happen to us if we keep, keep, keep poisoning our water sources and we end up with zero water to drink. Yeah, yes, Lorenzo. There are a couple of heartbreaking facts about what you're talking right now. 1.2 billion people don't have access to clean water, and water pollution kills around 3.6 million people every year. Yes, and it's sad to think that in the era of technology, this scarcity arises not because of a lack of water, but because we're polluting it. Let me tell you a couple more very interesting facts. Earth has 326 million cubic miles of water. That's all water, oceans, everything. Imagine a cube, to, just to get a grasp on that figure, imagine a cube that is 688.5 miles on each of its three sides. That This amount of water has remained the same since the planet was formed millions of years ago. Two, we, don't, we won't have less or more water as it's a resource that cannot be created by man. But then 70% of the planet's surface is covered with water, but by mass, it represents only 0.007%. Of all the water in the planet, only 3% is fresh water, but only 0.5% of this water is available for consumption. 1.63 million cubic miles or a cube, 118 miles on each of the three sides. The other 2.5% is currently frozen and the rest is in the atmosphere. This means that life on Earth is maintained with the equivalent of half a teaspoon if a, if a bucket of 26 gallons or 100 liters would be 
all the water on the planet. And let me give you another figure. There's an average of 2.2 million gallons per person worldwide available. That's approximately 8.4 million liters, equivalent to roughly 300,000 cubic feet. Mm, interesting. And also, water is the only compound on Earth that can be found naturally in three different states or forms, you know, solid, liquid, and gas. So as the first law of thermodynamics states in simple words, matter and energy cannot be created nor destroyed. They can only be changed from one form to another. And I think a beautiful way to see it is through the hydrological cycle. However, the hydrological cycle is a loop, and it's difficult to say where it starts or ends. So what do you say if we keep, if we take evaporation as the starting point, Lorenzo? Would you yes. do that? <laughs> Good idea. Let's review the hydrological cycle starting with evaporation. In this process, the sun, again, is our ally. Its energy evaporates enormous amounts of water from the water bodies like seas and lakes, but also from water in a solid state such as snow and ice. Evaporation also includes what we know as evapotranspiration, which is water transpired by vegetation. This water in the form of gas rises to the coldest part of our atmosphere to be condensed into tiny drops of water or ice crystals. That is what we see as clouds. These tiny drops or ice crystals fall back on Earth as rain, hail, snow, or dense fog that descends in the surface. Much of this precipitation returns to the oceans, rivers, and lakes themselves, but also as permanent snow in poles and mountaintops, where it can remain stored for millennia. Another portion of this water descends on land, forests, grasslands, jungles, and deserts. If these ecosystems are well preserved, the water is retained and infiltrated by the roots of the plants and the soils to continue its way to aquifers, which are underground water reservoirs. Another portion of this water, which is not retained by roots and soil, runs by gravity into the corresponding water basins. They can be internal or external. A watershed or water basin is the area within which all the water that falls is directed towards the same body or water or destination, in many cases the ocean. Some watersheds disperse feeding streams and rivers that come together again to the sea. And in a perfect world, the water cycle keeps going on unaltered. Yeah, yeah, but however, we are altering the hydrological cycle with the removal of vegetation cover, the disappearance of key ecosystem species, poor soil management, and the practice of destructive activities. For example, widespread deforestation is believed to lead to a reduction in the recycling rate of water between plant canopies and the atmosphere, thereby affecting the climate system. We for sure will talk in a coming episode about the miracle of rain, a thermodynamic mechanism that transports water that evaporates from the oceans and our vegetated areas on the planet to another remote part, making life possible. Very interesting. I look forward to that topic. Unfortunately, yes, we're changing the cycle through deforestation. Loss of biodiversity, topsoil depletion around the world, and activities such as gas extraction by hydraulic fracturing known as fracking. This technique ignores the fragility of our aquifers 
and the strategic importance of these underground water reserves. It is a direct and significant threat to our groundwater supplies. This mm -hmm. process injects chemicals into the ground to break or fracture layers of sedimentary rock and extract the gas, to put it simply. Yeah, so, yeah, fresh water is becoming one of the scarcest resources on the planet, and we keep treating it as a dispensable commodity. And this might be counterintuitive. If oceans are rising, what is fresh water becoming scarce? Well, first of all, the ocean level is rising because human activities have managed to divert water to the ocean that would otherwise have been stored on the continent or in ice caps. And water is becoming scarce because we are contaminating the freshwater bodies with pollutants that wash off from wastelands and the things we flush through our drains. It is already well documented that 80% of water pollution comes from land-based resources such as oil, dirt, pesticides, uh, the discharge of nutrients for, from fertilizers, septic tanks, untreated sewage, and runoff farms, to mention some. Because of this runoff, there are already fi 500 dead zones in water bodies around the planet. And just to give you an example, 40% of rivers and lakes in the U.S. are too polluted for fishing or swimming. Yeah, also a large percentage in Mexico and Latin America. Let's also consider industrial accidents, agricultural lakes, poor water management, and natural disasters. The things we put in the water and air don't go away. The hydrological cycle goes on, and those things get back into the water we drink. Think about this. 80% of the trash floating in the ocean is plastic. Actually, there is an island of plastic floating in the Pacific the size of Texas. Yeah. And sadly, for our health and the health of millions of other species, scientists have found that there are more microplastics in the oceans than stars in the Milky Way. No. Researchers, <laughs> yeah, incredible. Researchers have discovered the presence of microplastics in the bloodstream organs and tissues of animal and people. Microplastics are tiny particles of plastic. They define them as less than five millimeters long, but they further, further degrade and become really microplastics. And they are, some, in some cases, as these tiny structures, they are made uh, to produce things like microfibers, which are found in synth synthetic fabrics, or plastic microbeads, which are in some cosmetics. But microplastics are also formed after breaking off from larger products like water bottles, car parts, and product packaging. Yeah, and plastic. So to give you an idea, a biodegradable item such as a piece of fruit or vegetable breaks down as it reinserts in the natural degradation cycle. But plastics, yeah, plastics, they never decompose as they become what we know as waste, something that has no place in the natural cycle. So, Lorenzo, you mentioned that the amount of water is around 3% of the total water on the planet. However, less than one-third of that is available for consumption. From that portion, 70% goes to agriculture and around 25% to industry. And among the largest consumers of water in industry are energy production, oil plants, metal, paper, lumber, food processing, and manufacturing industries. Everything we eat needs water to be made. For example, the cup of coffee you had 
this morning took 37 gallons of water to produce, but the burger you had for lunch a couple of days ago took 1,200 gallons. Yeah, and just a precision, Jimena, in that 22% of industry, we have to include the water we use for domestic services, for cities, for households. So so, so that's also an important figure. Um, in places like Mexico, that 50, 15% of the water supply goes to that purpose. So yes, we use water to produce not only our food, but also everything we use and wear. For example, a pair of jeans, I love jeans, by the way, they care take around 2,600 gallons of water. All the water needed to produce and package the goods and services we consume is known as virtual water. And we use water in all these industrial processes because it is the universal solvent. Water can dissolve more substances than any other liquid, including sulfuric acid. So this solvent capacity is responsible for two important functions for living beings. One, it is the medium in which the most metabolic reactions occur. And two, it's a transport system through the blood that supplies nutrients and eliminates waste. Water is indeed essential for our survival, and it has become central in our industrial processes. So as the worldwide population has tripled during the last century, water consumption has increased sevenfold. It is estimated that 20% of the world's aquifers are being overexploited, which have serious consequences such as subsidence of the ground and intrusion of saline water and other chemicals. Yeah, and also in recent years, agriculture has used a greater number of agrochemicals, which have resulted in the contamination of soils and aquifers. And what we do to the planet, we do to ourselves, right? Yeah, definitely. We are the ones to blame, but also the ones suffering the consequences of our actions. Yes, and it's heartbreaking as it seems we humans, the most intelligent creatures in the world, have begun to neglect ourselves. Because think about this. On average, two-thirds of the weight of an adult is water. So we're fundamentally composed of water. And let me share with you a couple of inter interesting facts about humans. 90 to 90 5% of the weight of a baby is water, but as we grow old, we drop down to 60 to 65%, which means we dry off as we age. Two, human beings cannot smell or taste substances that are not soluble. On a dry tongue, sugar has no taste, and in a dry nose, the smell of a flower would not be noticed. And three, water is essential to prevent dehydration, but consider that a portion of that requirement is provided by foods and other fluids. Awesome facts, Jimena. <laughs> We're approaching the first break. When we come back, we'll have Lorena Bello from Harvard University School of Design join us to talk about water management at the landscape scale. See you in a while. See ya. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? 
Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. This episode is all about water and the hydrological cycle. We are very honored to have Lorena Bello joining us for this segment. Lorena, a good friend, is also a professional at Harvard University and an expert in functional design and has coordinated several research projects on water management at the landscape scale. Yeah, welcome, Lorena. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be here with both of you. So, Lorena, we will be asking you a few questions um, um, that you can answer from your expertise. First question would be, can you share with us what was the event in your childhood that made you interested in the environment and design and this concept of land conservation at the landscape scale? What a fantastic question. Um, So many things, but I was thinking that maybe rain and ocean base could be my answer. As I grew up in the northwest of Spain, in Galicia, uh, with a Celtic origin as those of the Celtic nations of Brittany, Ireland, Wales, or Scotland. So even if it is difficult to believe that this being Spain, I grew up listening to bagpipes, uh, I was also being sprayed by many of those different states of uh, water, as you were describing earlier. So from dense fogs that will enter our base from weeks in the summer months, um, disrupting the kids that could not go to the beach, actually, um, <laughs> to strong Atlantic storms that will keep fishermen at bay, uh, or also very prolonged rainy winter months that will make us evolve as amphibian, I would say. <laughs> at some months, I would say I'm going to start growing uh, a skin of an amphibian. 
So I actually did not develop, um, um, you know, like that need to drink that much water uh, because I evolved like my ancestors in this very moist and wet environment. Um, and as a result, I think they have a very porous skin. Uh, <laughs> I can actually smell and feel the rain coming, if you can believe wow. that. Wow. Uh, yeah, and awesome. I always- yeah, and I, I, I also grew up like by the Bay of Vigo, um, which mm-hmm. is like the, the one of the first livelihoods for Galicians uh, form around their ocean bays, which are a significant part of the regional cultural and natural heritage because they support aquaculture activities as well as transportation, industry and recreation. So I know that Lorenzo knows those very well and he can tell us something about it later, uh, but these aquaculture activities form part of my first lessons on water circularity. So because we grow seafood, oysters, mussels, lobsters in the base as they, uh, by giving our nutrients as food, um, they clean the water and then we eat them back. So um, wow. You know, however, this ecology has been also broken by population growth and industrial activities, but I think that we could reverse it back to be more circular in the future. Yeah. So that will be my answer to you. Oh, that was amazing. And yeah, my my grandparents were from Galicia too, and my grandmother lived in Vigo, so I can relate to that. And <laughs> just a beautiful place. Yeah. So I was reading some things and I came... I saw a very interesting concept, day zero. So can you tell us about this concept? What does day zero draw means and how, when, where, and why can it happen? Yeah, that is a very important concept. And actually the concept that made me meet Lorenzo not so long ago. So a day zero drought is a severe drought that occurs when the water supply in a region or city reaches zero, meaning that there is no longer enough water to meet the basic needs of the population. In other words, it is the point at which a city or region has exhausted its water reserves and must rely solely on emergency water supplies to meet Mm. its needs. Um, Actually, this term was first used during the uh, 2018 water crisis in Cape Town, South Africa, when the city faced the possibility of running out of water completely. I mean, this was amazing and a first in the in the world and planet. Um, and that day zero was initially projected to occur on April 18. Um, but due to aggressive water saving measures and rainfall, the crisis, the crisis was averted. So the alarms of day zero scenario went off again last summer of 2022 in Monterrey, Mexico. But again, rainfall, water saving measures, and more aggressive aquifer extraction averted the crisis. So this is to say that day zero droughts can occur in any region where there is insufficient rainfall or water resources to meet the needs of the population. And can happen to a variety of because of a variety of factors, including prolonged periods of drought, poor water management practices population growth growth and climate change. Um, Monterrey, Mexico was impacted by the same drought that affected California last year, as we all heard, mm-hmm. uh, that in the last three years uh, up to 2022, 
uh, which according to NASA was actually the worst drought in 1200 years. <gasps> so imagine that. So yeah. this was the result of like three years of, of prolonged La Nina effect mm -hmm. that was later followed by El Nino, resulting as we saw this winter in rain and floods in California. Wow, impressive. Yeah, yeah well, actually, we, we, we lived here, and, 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 and as you say, that's how we met. We had this uh, day zero event last summer in Monterrey, and, and I met Lorena in a conference on, on, on water. So, wow, it's amazing. Now, relating it to climate change, um, I've seen several uh, art, recent scientific articles um, on this uh, climate phenomenon called La Niña, and then the, the opposite, El Niño. Uh, how do these events affect the hydrological cycle for people? What's in, in this for us with Las Niñas and Los Niños? Yeah, um, so I am not a meteorologist because this is something that like they know very well, but I know uh, as like these events affect or affect populations and cities, but what I know is that... I, it's a climate phenomenon that occurs in the Pacific Ocean and is characterized by cooler than average sea level surface temperatures in the central and eastern tropical Pacific. So that will be um, central, let's say, Hawaii, eastern, let's say, California. And it is the opposite of El Nino, which is characterized by warmer than average sea surface temperatures in the same region. So imagine during a La Nina event, the trade winds in the Pacific Ocean are stronger than normal, which causes upwelling of cold water along the western coast of South America and colder ocean temperatures in Central and Eastern Pacific. So this leads to changes in atmospheric circulation patterns, which in turn affect weather patterns around the world. So during a La Nina event, there is often increased rainfall in the Western Pacific, including parts of Southeast Asia, Australia, and Western coast of South America. And conversely, there is often less rainfall in parts of Central and Eastern Pacific, including parts of Western United States, South America, and parts of Africa, including that. So this allowing us to understand that Gaia is a connected urban uh, organism, right? Oh, Lorena, so, let, let me tell you. So so you said you are not a meteorologist and you are not an expert. I wonder what you would have answered if you were an expert. My yes, God. I know. I just I just look into, <laughs> into like some of those scientific papers that you mentioned in order to understand like more broadly why systemically this is affecting us, no? Because moreover, both La Nina and El Nino can alter the direction of the jet stream. And I am very interested in this because the jet stream is understood by meteorologists as the storm highway and where it rains. So due to climate change and those particles in the atmosphere that you were describing um, before and the warming of our planet, that is ready, and, and this meaning the, the amount of solid water in the poles is being reduced and the increased volume of water particles in the uh, atmosphere, this means that these rain episodes have become hurricanes. And of course, La Niña and El Niño, so responding to your question of the impact, they have amazing significant impact on the hydrological cycle, uh, natural 
um, ecosystems, water resources, and livelihoods, because these catastrophic events can take many lives and they destroy these livelihoods, especially those of land and ocean farmers. It is very difficult to grow food under peak regimes of drought or flood um, that come associated with these events. But addition, additionally, changes in ocean temperatures can affect marine ecosystems and fisheries, which can have economic and ecological consequences. Mm -hmm. For instance, I was working last year uh, in both Belize and Honduras, where the Mesoamerican Reef is actually um, an amazing ecological habitat that is now under threat. And I know that uh, Lorenzo has also been looking into this problem himself. Yeah, and you also mentioned Gaia. We're all connected. So regarding that, we're, our connection, what are the main forces contributing to the water crisis around the world? I mean, I would say that uh, these um, main factors, um, I, I, I would say first population growth, um, <laughs> because the, the increasing population in many parts of the world is putting a lot of pressure on water resources. Um, uh, and as you were saying, more so into like fresh uh, water, um, but also putting pressure on sanitation and agricultural purposes. So I think that that is a factor. Climate change is a huge factor because as we were describing, it's altering weather patterns, causing droughts, floods, and other extreme weather events that affect the availability and quality of water resources. So, you know, we were used to a much more regular regime of water, but now this water comes in peak events of drought or flood. So that means that we pass from not having access to water to having too much water to manage. Mm -hmm. um, so this is uh, also a, has consequences on how do we like water management. Um, um, there, are, there is a still very poor water uh, management of water resources, and this exacerbates, uh, of course, this water crisis that we need to withstand that uh, with climate change. And, you know, I think that this is also in relationship to economic development. So these factors are different in develop and develop developing countries because mm -hmm. um, not everyone can can like manage their water in the same equally. Let's mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. economic development is also posing a huge uh, threat uh, to to water because increased industrialization can lead to a greater demand of water resources, but also also affect pollution. Um, so this is particularly true in emerging economics where economic growth is driving demand of water resources. Yeah. Interesting, Interesting. Lorena. When, when we met uh, one year ago, um, we were attending this conference uh, um, that uh, related very well to the water crisis we had last year in northeastern Mexico. Um, we we were having this conversation on the link between functional landscapes around a city, in this case Monterrey, and the need to protect those watersheds. 
And and all of this uh, water circularity and functionality as in doctors for climate justice. Can you can you share your thoughts on this amazing concept of landscape conservation and urban water circularity and 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 what are your insights and how we can make the best of this uh, knowledge uh, for our future? Yeah, this is an amazing question, and I think um, one of our most pressing challenges uh, in the years to come. Um, because if we are not able to achieve this, I don't think that we will not be able to like keep living in this planet. So um, I think, you know, landscape conservation and urban water circularity uh, can certainly be effective inductors for climate justice uh, as they help to you know, address some of the key environmental and social issues associated with climate crisis. Um, landscape conservation involves, uh, as we know, protecting and restoring natural ecosystems, understanding the connection of habitats across scales, which is not that easy uh, for us to, to even understand as, like, you know, we have evolved in this Cartesian world of separation mm -hmm. and alienation and sea load, even fields of research. But this can help actually mitigate the impacts of climate change by increasing carbon sequestration, protecting biodiversity, reducing the risk of natural disasters uh, such as floods um, and landslides, but also, you know, improving aquifer recharge and therefore more accessibility to fresh water, like that very scarce uh, resource that you were mentioning uh, is at risk in these days. And in urban areas, urban water circularity would involve using water in a closed loop system uh, to help reduce uh, water waste and promote water efficiency. So particularly um, in urban areas where like water is in high demand. And this can help address issues of water scarcity, but also promote social and economic benefits, uh, such as improving public health, um, distributing the resource with more equity according to pocket, uh, creating jobs, or helping address agricultural production, maybe close to urban areas, uh, using waste kind of like a process water in order to start irrigating fields close by. So I think that both landscape conservation and urban water circularity can promote climate justice by helping address environmental and social inequalities that are often exacerbated by this climate crisis. For example, we can um, help protect the rights and livelihoods of indigenous communities and other marginalized groups who are often disproportionately affected by environmental degradation and climate change. And um, similar, similarly, urban water circularity can help to ensure that water resources are distributed equitably um, uh, to, have a, to give access to all communities. Yeah, thank you, Lorena. So we're approaching to the next break, but I want to ask you a, a last very quick question. What gives you hope? People like you, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. This is a good a good way to a good way to a good way to start the day. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Well, it's time for us to go to the next break. 
Thank you, Lorena. Thank You're you very welcome. much. Thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> when thank we return, for... we will talk about the healing properties of water and how to take action now. So your everyday choices will lead you to optimal health and also align with global environmental efforts. Stay tuned. Thank you. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Our children deserve to be emotionally healthy as they grow through youth into adulthood. As adults, if we model these behaviors for our children and incorporate them into our own daily lives, imagine the synergy we can create. We have become accustomed to waiting for symptoms before we seek help, both emotionally and physically. It's time to change our way of thinking from reactive to proactive. Let's learn what we need to now so kids growing up have skills and strategies to use for life in this very challenging world. Tune into Taking the Helm with host Lynn McLaughlin to learn all you need to know. Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. If you're tuning in, we have been talking about water and the hydrological cycle. Before the break, Lorena Bello shared with us her experience with functional design in complex water landscapes. In our first segment, we talk about some interesting facts about water, the hydrological cycle, how there is a virtual component in our usage of water, and how we're steadily and mostly unconsciously polluting our freshwater sources. Water pollution is the contamination of water with chemicals or other dangerous substances that are detrimental to human, animal, or plant health. Water is a medium in which many fundamental chemical reactions for the metabolism of living beings take place. Its chemical composition exhibits very complex properties and anomalies in comparison with similar compounds, like its points for melting, boiling, and freezing, as well as density, cohesion, and tension. Yes, Jimena, water is a molecular miracle. 
that allows it to be the liquid of life. Water is the most abundant molecule in the human body that undergoes, undergoes continuous recycling. It is a very simple and stable molecule that consists of two hydrogen atoms bonded to an oxygen atom, H2O. Interesting, the geometric orientation of the bonds between atoms gives water the ability to organize itself and its mysterious properties of cohesion, viscosity, and tension. Its unique structure, in addition to its universal presence in body compartments, makes water a key player in multiple biological processes in human physiology. As established, science journalist Philip Ball said in an interview with NASA, water enables the kind of highly delicate chemistry that makes life possible, like no other known solvent in the universe. Yeah, there are many, many things surrounding water that are yet to be explored and understood. I can think about the Pemba effect, which is a counterintuitive thermal process where hot water may freeze sooner than cold water. <laughs> What we know for sure is that for our own survival, we must treat water as a very valuable and precious resource. Because it is, actually. Water is essential for life. People depend on water for their health and livelihood. But as we already saw, contaminated water leads to millions of deaths and even more illnesses every year. Worldwide, nearly 2 billion people drink contaminated water. 2 billion people, that's amazing. It's a very large amount of people. Some of the sources of water contamination are, one, corroded water pipes that leach harmful chemicals, for example, lead, hazardous waste sites and industrial discharges, pesticides and fertilizers from agricultural operations, and naturally occurring hazardous chemicals such as arsenic that leak into the aquifers. Also, sewage and food processing waste that, that gets uh, is not properly processed. Mm -hmm. New waterborne disease challenges are emerging due to factors such as aging infrastructure of the water networks, chlorine, tolerant and biofilm-related pathogens, and increased recreational water use, for example, swimming pools, water parks, water playgrounds, and hot tubs. Yeah, and at the beginning of the 20th century, diseases commonly transmitted by water, such as cholera and typhoid, were the major causes of that in many countries. But water treatment reduced the burden of these diseases and has been recognized as one of the greatest public health achievements of the 20th century. However, waterborne diseases change. There are places in the world where water is contaminated with arsenic, lead, fracking chemicals, and pesticides. And the health effects can range from subtle to severe, depending on the chemical and total exposure. So arsenic is associated with skin, lung, bladder, kidney, and liver cancer. Lead can lead to behavioral and developing effects in children and the development of cardiovascular and kidney problems in adults. Fracking chemicals uh, damage the immune, immune and reproductive systems, and pesticides can develop neural effects and Parkinson's disease. Well, the bright side is that many countries are aware of this And around the world, they are using disinformation to develop prevention priorities and measure progress in healthcare services. 
we cannot prescind from water because the body relies on it to function properly. Drinking enough water every day is essential for good health. Yeah, and the amount of water that everyone should drink varies greatly from person to person. It depends on how your individual metabolism works, what the temperature is, what you eat, your age, and maybe whether you have a medical condition. It's important also to know that we get about one-fifth of the water we need from food and drinking fluids too. However, as a general rule, I love numbers, men should drink about 10 cups of fluids, which is roughly 2.5 liters every day, women about 8 cups, which is approximately 2 liters, and children, depending on their age, between 4 and 8 cups, which is from 1 to 2 liters per day. Yeah, and as we saw, around two-thirds of the human body is made up of water, and water molecules make up around 99% of our body's molecules. All the body's chemical processes take place in water. We need water for digestion, to absorb nutrients, to prevent constipation, to get rid of waste products, and to regulate our body temperature. Uh, And when the body doesn't have enough water, which is called or known as dehydration, it can affect physical and mental performance. Water also moistens your eyes, nose and mouth, protects your organs and tissues, lubricates joints, facilitates the production of hormones and neurotransmitters, supports the growth and reproduction of cells, and delivers oxygen to all parts of your body through the blood. Mm -hmm. There's still much to learn from living organisms, the earth and the universe, as we continue to explore and discover the wonders of water. But here's is another fascinating fact. Believe it or not, there's a water reservoir floating in space equivalent to 140 trillion Earth's oceans. Wow. 140 trillion wow. Earth's oceans. Yeah. What a figure. Okay. What is now, a trillion? <laughs> well, what is we, a we, trillion? I can't we, picture we, we that. Know that. We know that a trillion <laughs> is 1,000 billions. But, and let, let's put this in perspective in case you are wondering how much 1 trillion is. Let me explain it as if you were going back in time. If you were to travel back 1 million seconds, you would travel 11 days. If you were to travel back in time 1 billion seconds, you would be traveling back 31 years to 1992. Mm -hmm. But if you were to travel back 1 trillion seconds, you would go back to the year 29,688 before Christ to the upper <laughs> Paleolithic period of the old Stone Age. <laughs> wow. so, so, so trillions are really huge numbers. Yeah, huge. And yes, still so much to learn about water because its chemical and physical properties continue to be a brain teaser for science. Yeah, that's, that reminds me of what Nikola Tesla once said. If you want to understand the universe, Think of energy, frequency, and vibration. And talking about those, alternative research uh, suggests that even more than its chemical or physical properties, the structure of water is a, a key role in studying and decoding the mysteries of health and wellness. Studies about structured water are still not backed by science, but I think they are fascinating. And if they get to be proven, they could change our current relationship with this amazing compound. I got to learn about structured water when I was doing my biomagnetism training. 
And this theory says that the water has a structure in its natural state, and it's acquired through movement, turns, spins, and exposure to life-enhancing electromagnetic energies from all elements and from minerals and rocks. But water loses this structure when moved through pipelines and pumps. This research says that structured water has, an extra, has extraordinary properties like energy and memory, and it's more easily available to living organisms. So in, the, in 2021, the Journal of Animal Science published a review about the benefits of structured water on animals when consumed daily. And this review stated that perfusing the cells with structured water changes cellular functions, protein functions, and molecular interactions in various ways. Some farmers also claim that the use of structured water in crops has helped the crops to grow faster and with 20% less water. And there is another very interesting research from a Mexican biochemist, Dr. Esther del Rio, that says that structured water turns into liquid crystals inside the body. And if this proves to be true, we could then demonstrate the existence of the energy that has been identified in ancient cultures with different names like qi in China and ki in Japan and kundalini and prana in India. And then, just as Rumi said, you're not a drop in the ocean. You're the entire ocean in a drop. Love this concept, Jimena. And, and uh, well, now that you're talking about this, I will add something about waters. Um, and this is a personal thing. I think that water acts like magic on me. My best ideas and chain of thought arrive when I am in contact with water. It can be in the shower. It can be while swimming or when I'm weightless diving. It happens all the time. Now, in my case, this is no coincidence because really sometimes I have a big problem to solve. And most of the times the solution comes when I am in contact with water. Wonderful. Yeah. So we're approaching the end of this episode. So let's do a quick recap of six facts we have reviewed. One, water plays a key role in regulating the Earth's temperature and climate change intensifies water stress in the world, affecting and limiting its access. Two, of all the water on the planet, only 3% is fresh water, but less than 1% of water is available for consumption. Three, every year, 18 billion pounds of garbage and 1.3 million gallons of oil are dumped and spilled into the ocean. Four, 1.2 billion people don't have access to clean water and water pollution kills around 3.6 million people every year. Five, 80% of the trash floating in the ocean is plastic and scientists have found that there are more microplastics in the oceans than stars in the Milky Way. Six, and last, Population has tripled in the last century and water consumption has increased sevenfold. Yeah. So very quickly, what are the things you can do? One, avoid using plastics as much as you can if you must reuse or recycle them. Two, be mindful of your water consumption, which includes virtual water, the water that is used to make your foods and goods. Three, avoid flushing things and substances through your drains. Four, drink water to stay hydrated. Five, if you're intrigued by structured water, do your research. 
a very efficient way to structure your water at home is adding some fruits or lemon juice to it. And six, share the message and start a ripple effect. I am always encouraged by the things we can do as individuals. Remember that whatever you, you do as such, individuals, families, communities, regions, countries, adds to the global solution. And it makes us as individuals also messengers of hope and responsible ancestors. I am looking forward to our next conversation. We will go deeper into biodiversity and the risk of losing it. And if you want to learn more about the things we have discussed today, we will prepare a list of materials you can access for additional reading. Well, thank you, Lorenzo, and thank you, Lorena. I found water one of the most sacred gifts of nature. Thank you for tuning in and joining us in casual conversations about health and the nature in Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Nos vemos la próxima semana. We hope you join us next week. See you hasta, la, hasta la próxima. Bye, Lorena. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. We hope you've learned something new today that can help you in your life and how to make this a better planet. Until next time, have a healthy and regenerative week. <laughs>